In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I beg your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. This week, the Church traditionally celebrates the Feast of the Epiphany on January 6th. In many places in the world, however, the feast is also celebrated on the first Sunday after the octave of Christmas. This feast is a wonderful opportunity for us to learn a lot from the Magi and what they did because somehow God has placed them there in the gospel to teach us a lesson in piety. They are indeed a compendium of piety. We know what the gospel of the Mass says. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, behold, Magi came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. So these Magi, we don't know who they are. They come from the east. They're wise people. They have studied the stars. They have probably come in touch with some prophecy of the Jews. And they have put two and two together, saying that, thinking that, it is worthwhile to follow this star that has appeared to them, to leave everything behind, so that they can go and worship the King of the Jews. They truly believe they have found a treasure, and they are willing to sell everything they have in order to buy the land in which that treasure is hidden, as our Lord says in another place in the Gospel, about those people who hear the call of God and are willing to say yes to it and give everything they've got in order to follow the path. This is what the Magi do. This is a great act of piety. Really, in the first place, their piety is shown by the fact that they are capable of love. They leave their comfort, the comfort of their home, comfort of their kingdom, and they are willing to go through hardship in order to find the the king of the Jews and to worship him. They recognize that, that he is greater than they are. Only people in love consider everything they have done for their loved one as nothing and less than nothing in comparison with what their loved one deserves in their estimation. The Magi 
do not count the cost. They see themselves as having received a gift. And all the hardships in the world are nothing in comparison. All their travels, you know, remember back then there was no McDonald's on the way, there was no there was no Wi-Fi, there was no smartphones, there was no texting, there was nothing of that sort. They go through a lot of hardships and they put some gifts together so that they can arrive not empty-handed. They come into Jesus' presence by bearing gifts. I remember once St. John Paul the Great, as we can call him, now that he is canonized, he was asked, in, um, right as he was getting onto an airplane by a journalist, he was asked, Holy Father, don't you think that you are traveling too much? And he answered in a, in a very mysterious way that threw the journalist off a little bit, didn't know what to say. John Paul II answered, yes, I think the Holy Father is traveling too much. And the journalist was stumped. He didn't know what else to say because he agreed with him. And yet he was getting into the airplane. He was boarding the airplane. And then he added, yes, but sometimes I think that you have to do things too much. Really, if you analyze the statement from an Aristotelian point of view, from Aristotle's logic, it doesn't make any sense. Because how could the right measure of things be too much? Too much is always relative in relation to a standard. And only when you go beyond the standard that it becomes too much, and presumably too much is is not good. It's too much. It's beyond what is what is dignified. But John Paul II was was going was pointing to a greater logic, and that is the logic of love. Only the person in love can understand this. The person in love never thinks that what he has done or she has done for his or her beloved is actually enough. They always seek to outdo themselves, to do things too much, to exaggerate, because nothing will ever be enough. Nothing that we can ever do will be enough. And that's why they take recourse to symbols, such as a flower, a rose, or, or a ring, or, or something that costs them a lot of effort, in order to express their love. But it just falls short. Whatever they give falls short of their, their true love, which goes beyond anything that can actually be given here on earth. St. Paul, you know, himself was a man in love, and he said he considered everything here in this world, anything that the world can give is really trash, it's really nothing, in comparison to what God can give or what, what, what we will find in heaven. Eye has not seen or ear heard or the heart of man ever conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. God exaggerates his love. He doesn't know how much more to love us because he has given everything. He has, he has this logic. And the Magi correspond to this logic. 
they want to show that they understand what they have been given by exaggerating, by doing all they can in order to find the king of the Jews, no matter what the cost. St. Josemaria was a man who was in touch with this logic. He himself was a Eucharistic soul. He, um, he was very proud to have built a, a tabernacle or to have commissioned a tabernacle for our Lord that was, that was really too much. They didn't have anything to eat in the 1950s when he moved to Rome. And um, as he said, they ate three pianos because whenever they had money to buy a piano for the people in the house, they they couldn't they they couldn't do it. They couldn't afford it, so they had to eat really uh, the money that they had saved up for the piano. And, um, and they didn't have bedspreads; they hardly had beds and no heating. But they lived happily in this poverty that our Lord blessed them with early on when. They had to move to Rome. Well, in in those circumstances, he had commissioned a a tabernacle in the form of a dove that hangs above the altar where he used to celebrate Mass daily as a token of his love for God, everyone's love for God that was living in that house. This tabernacle was was a precious um, thing, really, uh, a precious gift to our Lord. It had diamonds and that he had saved up from jewelry that people had given him, gold, enamel, so many beautiful things. And he was so proud because he asked a very rich person once, would you have given this to your wife? And the rich person hesitated. He's like, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> this is a little too much. Well, this is exactly what we can imagine the Magi did. They, they gave too much. They gave a lot because they considered themselves as having received something even greater than that. They sold everything they had in order to buy this precious field where the treasure was hidden, the treasure of the love of God. I wish I had a thousand lives, said St. Josemaria, to give to you, Lord. We can, we can access this, this logic as well, the logic of magnanimity, of the great-souled person who does not see so much how much effort really it costs in order to bring about a task, but he sees how much good can be done for souls. And that's the, the hallmark of the magnanimous person. He doesn't he or she doesn't seek to give things, but to give himself or herself. This is what we can do. St. Thomas Aquinas pointed out in his commentary in St. Matthew how the Magi opened up their gifts, and he interprets this opening up of their coffers as, as a sign that they had not opened them before. He says that it was significant that they opened them up for the first time in front of our Lord to give, them, to give him uh, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. This is a, a sign that they waited. They could have actually spent the gold, you know, because they were undergoing hardship um, along the way or whatever, but they didn't. They kept it pure, intact for our Lord. This is a great example of what we ought to do whenever <clears throat> we 
we need to live piety. Whenever we, we, we want to show piety to our Lord, give him the best we have, the best time for prayer. Don't look for, you know, the most efficient uh, way to pray the rosary, for instance. Well, I'll pray it in the car. Well, why not make time for our Lord and our Lady by praying the rosary, you know, in the quiet of our home rather than just when we are busy trying to do something else, like driving or something. There are many ways that we can improve in our piety, but this is one of them, being magnanimous. What is another way that the Magi show us on how to improve our piety? They are a compendium of piety, as it were. Well, one thing that is obvious is that these people are learned. They have culture. They have a great education. They are, they have, you know, they're well-read men. Today, piety is seen as, at best, perhaps a virtue for children who you know don't know better, you know, who are who don't know anything, and and um, you know. But when they grow up and they start finding out things of life, well, their kind of piety is left to the side as a childish thing. They grow out of their piety. But we have to learn from the magi. They know how to conjugate both things. As St. Josemaria used to say, we need to have the piety of children and the doctrine of theologians. And this is what the Magi had. I find it interesting that St. Josemaria did not say, <clears throat> did not say the other way around. He did not say, we need to have the piety of theologians and the doctrine of children. God save us, you know. Then we would be in trouble if we had to have the piety of theologians. I'm just kidding. There are many theologians out there who are struggling for holiness, and we pray right now for all those learned people that they may show us the way in in um, in many ways or give us insights into Scripture and into our faith. But theologians need more than anyone, perhaps, piety because they may run the danger of what St. Paul said, that science inflates, inflates pride. We pray for them and we pray for ourselves that our erudition, whatever it may be, our learnedness, our wisdom that we have gained through our study and our effort, may not lead us to pride. That, unfortunately, is the case of the scribes and the chief priests who are consulted about the, the location of where the king of the Jews is to be born when the Magi lose the star. Who do they turn to? They will they say, let's turn to the experts. They must be wise enough to know where the king of the Jews is to be born. And they, they are very studious, and they know where, actually. It's kind of interesting. They're in Jerusalem. They're very close to Bethlehem, a few miles away. Um, and they, they, they know exactly what's happening. They say, in Bethlehem of Judea. For thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, of the land of Judah, art thou by no means least among the princes of Judah. For from thee shall come forth a leader who shall rule my people Israel. It's interesting that the scribes know exactly, I mean, it's almost as if they had a GPS or something like that, they know exactly where our Lord is to be born. And they are so close, so close to our Lord. And yet, Somehow, they don't find him. These priests and scribes, they, they, they're either too lazy 
or too proud or a combination of both. And they point the way to, to the, for the Magi, but they don't go themselves to worship our Lord. Well, we have, to, we have to avoid that. And we have to see that the piety of children and the doctrine of theologians is something that we, we need to ask for and we need to really work on. The Magi, on the other hand, they are truly the ones of whom it is written later on in the Gospel with Matthew, where Jesus kind of praises the Father. And he says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent and revealed them to the little one. Yes, Father, for such was your good pleasure. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and him to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Well, the, the Magi were learned men, but not learned and wise before God. They were learned and wise in the world, and, and they at the same time are children before God, little children before God, and they, they know their limitations, and so they are humble enough to ask for directions, something that is very humiliating at times, as we know, when we're lost. Thank God for GPSs. Men are taken off the hook from listening to their wives and stopping for directions. You know, that's a very humiliating thing for a man. And GPS actually allows us to not, uh, not uh, humiliate ourselves in such a way. But anyway, um, these magi are, in the world, wise as serpents. And at the same time, they know how to conjugate their innocence or simplicity as doves before God. That's what we are called to do. The Magi are young at heart. They see their piety as, as something very manly, as something that is not simply reserved for children. They aren't grown up or too grown up in order to love. I don't know if you remember The Little Prince, the book by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, how the little prince says that, um, or Saint-Exupéry himself, uh, when he makes a picture of a boa constrictor having eaten an elephant, when he shows it to grown-ups, they really can't understand that it is not a hat, because it looks like a hat in profile. And he says, grown-ups can't see. They cannot see that there's a boa constrictor having eaten an elephant. And they think it is a hat because they, they're kind of blind to you know, what children do see. Well, we should never grow up in, with respect to our faith so that we could see these, these great things that God has placed for us along our way. If we grow older, in the bad sense of the word, then what happens is we become cautious. We become overprotective, you know, of our time. Perhaps this stems from being 
you know, having had a bad relationship with someone, let's say, you know, it was an abusive relationship that happens often, actually. And, you know, maybe there is, um, maybe that relationship ends in, in divorce or separation or many things could be tragic along those lines. And we pray for all those people who suffer through that. Some of those people find it difficult to love again, to trust again. And, um, and we have to actually, you know, realize that yes, you know, it could be difficult. Those are very difficult circumstances. Once, you know, love has been betrayed, to to begin to love again is 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 a very um, a very difficult uh, task. Sometimes it could even seem impossible. We become cynical about love at all. And um, but we have to realize that our Lord Himself was betrayed and he continues to love and he gives us hope he gives us a lot of hope so that we don't throw away the baby of love with the bathwater of a bad experience as abusive as it may have been god loves us he makes it possible to love again even after infidelity that's why he came to forgive us this forgiveness that we have from god is the hope that love is always possible, even after having been betrayed. We are children of God. This is um, something that we should pray for, that, um, that, we never, that we never become cynical towards the love of God. That we say, like St. John, with St. John in his first letter, that we have come to believe in love. And that even when there are difficulties, we do not we do not cease to believe. We do not doubt. That's why the Magi give us a great example when when their star disappears. What do they do? Do they do they tell each other, "Hey, you know, you made a mistake in your calculations, man." Or, or you believe something that wasn't true. Why, why did you do? Why did you make us do this? Or why were we so foolish as to have left our homes and everything? We lost the star. They don't act that way. They, they actually go to the people who can help them. Those people are the the scribes and the and the priests. The greatest act of piety. The greatest proof of piety is that their love does not grow cold or they don't doubt their love or they don't become cynical or their love. They don't doubt the legitimacy of the star when it disappears. And actually they do what is very commonsensical. They consult the experts, those who have been entrusted with sacred knowledge. These are the scribes and the chief priests in Jerusalem and they, they know exactly where our Lord is to be born. It's, it's ironic how these people who themselves do not go to Bethlehem to worship our Lord. At least we don't know, if, we don't know that they do, but presumably they don't. Um, that they have their own struggles, that they struggle with pride perhaps or, or um, you know, laziness, whatever it may be, or a combination of envy and other capital sins. But somehow they are God's instruments. They have been cho- they have been chosen as God's instruments to you know, 
to know sacred things, to know sacred knowledge. Perhaps this is akin to priests today. You know, we priests may not be up to par at times, and we see that in the media so often. It really is sad how many, um, you know, even one case of abuse is too much. As, as, as few as they may be in reality, or as many, there's too much, you know. Um, granted, we may not be up to par to the holiness we are called to. And that's why we need your prayers every single day, every single day. Priests need prayers from the lady and from other priests and from everyone in the church. But somehow we act in persona Christi because in virtue of the sacrament of orders, God has entrusted to us this faculty that allows us to bring Christ into the world in the sacrament of the Eucharist and to impart, to administer the, the forgiveness of sins in the sacrament of penance and, and also to give spiritual direction and to preach the word of God authentically when we are united to the magisterium of the church. We are instruments, you know, we are faulty instruments, but God overcomes the faults of all priests because otherwise his gifts would be <clears throat> in vain and God does not give gifts to the world for the church, for the salvation of souls in vain. But we need to act like the, like the Magi. We need to go to those people who, who can help us because they themselves have been chosen by God as, as his instruments. And, and we also pray at this time right now, Lord, grant us holy priests, because when priests are holy, there's so much more that is done, so many more souls that can find you. We pray that many, many more souls may find you in them and also find their path along this world to eternal life. Well, let us um, finally arrive at Bethlehem ourselves, fall on our knees like the Magi do. They fall on their knees, which is very significant for them to do this, because they themselves are somehow noble people who recognize that there is someone greater. They adore. They know how to adore. Something greater than ourselves is what we need to adore. We do need a savior. Even the greatest people on earth need to be saved. And nothing finite, no technology of ours, can deliver the infinite good that we need in order to save us from sin and death. Let us turn to Mary. Because we, like the Magi, with the Magi, see her, find her. Because she is the one who is like the monstrance. She shows Jesus to the world. We say that in the, in the Hill Holy Queen. Show unto us the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. She is like the, like the monstrance on the altar, you know, pointing to, to the center of the universe, to Jesus himself. She is, therefore, also known as the seed of wisdom because Jesus, eternal wisdom himself, incarnate, sits on her lap, as in a chair, as in a throne. And we, like the Magi, with the Magi, 
we find the child with his mother. We ask her now, Mary, teach us to give ourselves completely, like you did, saying the words, let it be done unto me according to thy word, not counting the costs, not putting conditions, not placing conditions on anything that our Lord may ask of us. In the second place, we ask you to grant us a piety of children combined with a doctrine of theologians that we may know the 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 depth, the height, the, the breadth of our high call, to paraphrase St. Paul. And lastly, to never doubt our love, to never doubt our love, to always know, even if there are difficulties, even if we have been in a bad relationship, that there's always hope, that we can always begin to love again. And we do so, perhaps first and foremost, by going to the sacrament of penance and beginning again to finding um, you know, guidance in spiritual direction through the priests of God who have been entrusted with that mission primarily. Mary will grant us all of these things as she is the mother of Jesus and by the will of God she is also our mother as our Lord has entrusted her to us at the foot of the cross. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations which you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.